Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be The Wolf. We're going to talk about rebuilding after tragedy, creating bridges, stepping into the kind of life that you never thought was going to be where you were going to be. I am here with Caitlin Doyle and she's been gracious enough to share with us her story of becoming the wolf and being who she was born to be, stepping into a career that was not her original path. And I think a lot of you out there are looking to find the right thing for you and have heart because it's sometimes not the journey you expect. And sometimes it can be full of surprises, good and not so great along the way. So thank you for being here with us today, Caitlin. Thank you. I'm so glad that you've invited me to share and to to join you in conversation. Awesome. So yeah, tell us where you started as far as your career path originally. Yeah, I well, I, I started pretty much as far away from where I am now as possible. <laughs> um, I started my career as an English teacher. So I went to college and had a dual degree in English and secondary education. I was studying on the East Coast and came to California to do my master's degree in English composition and was teaching. That was a goal. I had a plan. I even had a plan for when I'm done teaching, this is what I'll do in the education system. <laughs> And that is not what I'm doing today. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I love about the beginnings for you is it you ran into some places where you really wanted to make an impact and make a difference. And you discovered that I think a lot of people discover once they get into their chosen field that it was really hard to make the impact that they wanted to within the boxes and parameters of what the job was or what you were allowed to do. Tell it, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people go into education and teaching really wanting to have an impact 
impact on the world, really wanting to have an impact on students. But I definitely realized once I got into the classroom that there were so many other factors at play that uh, it wasn't as straightforward as I thought. I had gone to really well-funded public schools that, you know, because of various kinds of privilege, I was able to have not just my parents, but lots of parents involved. As I got into my teaching career and, and did my student teaching placements, I realized that was kind of an anomaly. Uh, you know, um, having a school system that was so well-funded, that had a lot of opportunities for parents' invo involvement and had a lot of parents with the bandwidth and time and resources to be involved in schools, school activities is really not the common case around the country. And so getting into classrooms and seeing, wow, there are a lot of kind of wacky standards that teachers have to adhere to. There are a lot of parents that can't be involved. There are a lot of cultural and language barriers. It's really hard to get to a place where I'm feeling like I'm doing the kinds of things I want to do. Like maybe I need to be writing policy. Maybe I need to be doing something else. It wasn't ultimately really fulfilling that goal that I wanted to of changing the world in a classroom. Although I did have really great experiences with my students and, and their families. And as time went on, things started to shift for you. You had, you got some surprise news about the health of your fiance. And as much as you were doing your best to make a difference with your feet on the ground in the teaching world that became a more important focus at that time. Do you want to share a little bit? You don't need to go into great detail, just, you know, the basic gist of what happened there. I kind of had a, a whirlwind romance with not the boy next door, but the boy across the street. <laughs> and we were ready to get married, and he worked in the restaurant industry and was able to meet some of my students for some fun events that we brought them to. But unfortunately, he got very ill. He went into liver failure, and he passed away. And when that happened, as any of you who've gone through a loss like that would know, I actually didn't know what to do with myself. I knew at that time that I needed to to take care of myself and couldn't really be in a position where I needed to put others before my own needs. Yeah. It's interesting. I think a lot of people, we work and we try and do it all, no matter what crazy thing is happening in our personal life. And so if something big really happens, we set ourselves up for trying to balance all of the things. I'm going to deal with this. I'm still going to work. And, oh, I have to take on this, too. And I think a lot of employers don't have the bandwidth to be able to allow that. And a lot of people don't have the understanding to actually say, hey, I need to take a big chunk of time off and please let me have my job back, but I need to take care of myself. I think it's really hard for a lot of people to recognize when to step back and to take care of themselves. And I know you were trying to juggle all of it for a 
big chunk of that time. Did you know, did that thought come to you about like, maybe I need to just take a big chunk of time off or were there fears about even asking about that? You know, I think at the time it didn't even cross my mind that that would be a possibility. What you're saying really resonated with me that, um, you know, be, be it financial straits or just workplace norms, it didn't occur to me that that might be a thing that I could do. Um, so even though I felt like I needed more hours in the day and I needed time to care for myself, I absolutely didn't think there would be an option for me to ask for time off. There were colleagues who had donated sick time for me and, and it turned out in the end that I was told I didn't qualify for taking it. I wasn't actually able to do that, which is how, how part of part of the whole conversation that wound to me no longer working there. But what forced me, the forcing function of, of me taking time off was losing my job. Um, and had I not had a very supportive family that that had mostly emotional but also financial support helped me take some time off of work. I'm not sure what I would have done. I probably would have been staying with friends because I did, I did have some fallbacks, but, um, you know, so like being in this apartment that I stay in now and I pay for by myself is like a huge monument to the fact that I was able to do it because I do still live in, in the place that we shared. It's very differently decorated now. And people have yeah. asked me, like, why wouldn't you move? But part of it is I live, I have an apartment in San Francisco that I moved into and could pay for it by myself now. So it's kind of a little bit of a trophy. <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal. Y'all who live in different places in the country, San Francisco rents are well i don't think they're the most expensive in the country anymore but for a while they overtook new york and for a big chunk of time it's part of why i moved from san francisco to new york i'm like i can live in the city that i really want to live in and it's cheaper <laughs> than san francisco i'm all about it let's go <laughs> but i think you know what you said that really resonates, I think, for a lot of people, and it's so important is we don't even realize we could ask for what we need. And I think in jobs, and especially, you know, in a field where there's stringent boxes of how you're supposed to do things, which not all teaching jobs are that way, but a lot of them are, a lot of corporate jobs are that way, with those strict boxes and those ideas that we as a lot of people just don't feel like they can advocate for what they need. But to be able to do that, you've got to actually know what you need. And that's a big thing that I think a lot of people don't realize until some big crazy life event shakes everything up and you're forced to actually look at what it is you actually need. That's so true. I was gonna say to take it out of the workplace for a moment. That that situation actually is what put me in a position to encourage my parents to get all of their documents in order 
for whatever their plans would be. And when my mother passed, everything was substantially easier for the family because we knew everything that she wanted. I wouldn't have known all of the things that I would need to take care of had I not had to do this with somebody who had just turned 30 and didn't have anything prepared. And so for years I spent, mom, dad, okay, is it going to be this Christmas that we talk about it or next Christmas? <laughs> so finally, one day they emailed me and said, okay, you finally twisted our arms. Um, but yeah, you really don't know until you've been put through the ringer a little bit. My mom, I've tried to get my mom, what do you want to happen? I don't know. I'll think about it. And you know, four years later, my mom's version of I'll think about it is five year chunks. And then she'll say at that point, well, I'll give you an answer, you know, later. And then we're moved. I know that's a good sign because then we're moved to like three years. <laughs> and then, well, <laughs> it just never really happens. So you got to, of course, learn some skills of what you need to navigate. And that's always a good thing. Anytime we go through hard things, we take with us the learnings, which is one of the positives but you were stuck so a lot of your co-workers had donated their time their time off and the system wouldn't allow you to actually do that I, this is so shocking to me though is where you were when you got the news they said oh sorry no call no show but where were you when you got the news that they were letting you go? I, I was actually at his funeral at the time. And there were some members of the, uh, of the leadership, my employer there at the time, which was fascinating to me because obviously I had formed order for them to be there. It was a gut punch, I'll say that. Yeah. At the time, I was in that place of not knowing what I needed, and I thought what I needed was a job. So I really tried to get them to keep me in all the ways that I could think of. And this was in September, and they basically told me to reapply in January to see if there were openings. So once you started having some space, I think a lot of times we don't know what we need until something crazy obstacle comes up and forces us to look at what it is we need. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times these terrible things sometimes end up being blessings and disguises. And I'm not talking about losing your love, but I am talking about the job letting you go and having that space to be able to start to take care of yourself. Do you feel you would have stayed or would you have been would there have been another thing that would have come up another obstacle that might have been like hey caitlin you need to take some space to heal i think if i had tried to just to continue along i think my health would have really suffered and i would have probably ended up having to take a break because of that obviously i was in a, a rough place emotionally but because I had been for over three months, I would talk to doctors, go to the hospital, go to the hospital. My physical health wasn't great. And it was just from exhaustion and probably malnutrition 
and stress. Had I not taken that break, my body probably would have said no, no more. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note, like, it doesn't matter what the thing that's causing the stress for anybody listening. It's really important to start to pay attention to that stress and what's happening with your body, because there are signals that something's going wrong. And we are taught, so many of us are taught that we need to have a job above all else. We have to have that job. And you sacrifice and you burn yourself out and you have to keep going no matter what. And so I love that you got a break and you were able to take some time. And then once you were ready, you started to realize like, hey, I need to take a step forward into something different. But you started with some volunteer work. Is that correct? The first thing that I really did to get back life <laughs> was, you know, people had recommended um, bereavement groups and partner loss support groups and things like that to me. And a lot of those groups are are targeted towards older people who've been together whole lives, which is also one that wasn't what I needed. I needed, what do you do when you were preparing for that whole life and that's gone? And I couldn't find that. I, I've found some better resources since, but I, I was looking for somebody that had experienced something closer to what I was going through. And um, given that uh, he had passed from liver failure and we had really kind of plugged into the organ transplant community in that time frame, I started talking to people from the Donate Life community and we really connected um, because people that had lost their loved ones and then become donors had a really important story to tell and and felt a similar sense of loss in a lot of uh, a lot of occasions of promise that was going unmet and potential that they would receive and uh, we made some real connections and I also met a lot of people who had been saved by organ donation and so I felt like it was really important for me to talk about organ donation, you hear a lot of great stories about people who did and, and people who have received wonderful gifts from those great, great families. But um, sometimes I think those stories make it seem like everybody wins. And uh, I think that there there is some urgency added to the story when someone like me comes along and says, you definitely donate your organs because then maybe someone like me he doesn't lose the person that they love. Uh, and look, here's his, here's his picture. Um, you know, we were really happy. <laughs> and uh, you have to wait a really long time in California and in New York and in a lot of other places around this country. So um, yeah, click, tick the box when you get your license renewed. It doesn't cost you anything. So I felt like that was really getting out there, talking to people and meeting these awesome people really started to rekindle my sense of purpose. And okay, I don't have to be this classroom person to still be doing things that are worthwhile and helpful to the world. I could still leave a better place behind than the one that I, I was born into. And I just need to kind of get a little bit more creative about how I do that.
Yes. One of the things that I love, like you got into teaching because you wanted to make an impact and you started working with this organization in order to also, you realized that you could make an impact and opening up this idea that, hey, I don't necessarily have to do this exact thing that I was trained to do but that there's more possibility out in the world. And I think that's so important. Was there, when you started to see like, oh, maybe I don't have to go back to the classroom. Maybe that's not the right place for me. What were some of the fears that came up as you started to think about like, well, what do I do next? Wow, geez. I think I've blocked out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's so, so many. <laughs> I felt like I had a very specialized background in resume. Even some of my summer jobs as a teacher, I was a lifeguard and taught swimming lessons. I really had a very teaching-centered background. And, and, and so I was at all prepared for any kind of possible career pivot. And I think that was probably the thing that scared me the most. So, yeah, I was very scared about that. So we can imagine all the fears and all the stuff that comes up. I think a lot of people are familiar with these. Am I good enough? The imposter syndrome. Like, what? I don't know how. Like, all of these things. But what were some of the things that were, like, just told you like, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. Can you think of any of the moments that sort of led you on that path of like, okay, just, I can, I can do something. I can take a step forward. What were some of the things that either came through your mind or maybe things people said that kind of a, helped you to believe that you could take a step forward into something new? I think it was one of my one of my teacher friends who I love dearly, and actually, any day I should be having a baby, so I should check in with her after this. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember her. I remember her telling me some of these kids that we work with are just like out of control all the time, except when they're here with us. You know, they're skilled to just working with people that you can't quantify. And that's something that you have and I have. And we can manage this group of people. If you can manage this group of people together, you can manage any team of people. And you could do that in, in, in any office. And I, I just kind of remember thinking like, oh, yeah, these kids are crazy. <laughs> um, they have the time and we still manage to get things done. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the next like real non-friendship moment was there was somebody that I'd never met, but was from my alumni sorority group on LinkedIn. And she had posted, Hey, we're looking for temps for this job. And, I thought, well, geez, I don't know, but we come from a similar organization and this seems like a safe place for me. If she can, if she can come from my group and I come from my group, then, you know, 
I can at least tell her that my life is a disaster and maybe she can help me. <laughs> so, um, so I went to an informational interview with her and I said, look, I have this education resume and I only cried for a few minutes <laughs> and that was a triumph at the time. And she was like, hey, I've got some ideas about how we can fix this up. You seem like a good candidate for this opportunity I have. Let's just throw you in there and see how it goes. I was like, I can do that. I've subbed before. I can show up and <laughs> unprepared and make it through the day. Uh, and that changed everything. Yeah. What I love about this that is so great is you took a leap and it's so scary sometimes to take a leap and the other piece of it is that i know one of the most powerful things that can happen to you when you're on the edge of change like you're right there the line to cross you're right at the edge of it you're like okay i'm ready to do something nah. Now I'm about to step over. I don't know. And then there's one person on the other side that says, hey, I believe in you. And that's all like you're just at that point where you're starting to almost believe in yourself and somebody else says that. And then all of a sudden it's like you take a big leap across that line into something that starts to work. And there is when somebody's at that place when they're getting ready to start to believe in themselves, that one person to have you support, whether it's a coach, a mentor, a friend, a sorority alumni, whatever it might be to have that person to help being like, yeah, you can do this is so powerful. Oh, I just love that. And then you started working but it was very in limbo. Yeah. So tell us about um, the limbo. Limbo was a scary <laughs> place for people. <laughs> it, it was, yeah. And especially I think when you come from a job like education, which is, you know, it's, it's not as dynamic and doesn't have the same kind of turnover where you might be looking for new opportunities all the time as some other industries. Yeah, I got, I was offered a, a two week contract doing email customer support. Uh, and the way it was marketed to me was like, it's this new startup, which I had never heard of at the time. It turned out to be Fitbit, which I'm sure many of you have heard of or worn. I may have seen your sleep data at one point or another. Uh, basically they, they, we're saying, okay, well, we need some people for two weeks, come and answer customer emails. And I'm thinking, well, I'm an English teacher, I can write good emails. Uh, and so then at the end of the two weeks, they said, okay, come back for two more weeks. Uh, and it kind of went on like that for a few months, where every, at the end of every two weeks, I'd have to go back to the head of customer support and say, do you want me back in a couple of days? <laughs> and they'd say, sure. Sure. I wasn't making a lot of money. I didn't know when I would find out, like when the other shoe was going to drop. So on the side, I would be like driving for Lyft or, you know, hustling. <laughs> and then eventually we got a new head of, of customer support and, and he decided to convert a bunch of 
us over to full-time employee. Finally got my big boy chair and <laughs> got a real job working uh, customer support. Um, that meant like benefits and a real paycheck and and all of those things. And it was, and then I became somebody who worked in tech. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that strikes me as we're trying to make a shift and you used the words when we spoke before about you needed a bridge. And I love that mm-hmm. idea because here we are on one side of the river and over there is maybe a place that we know nothing about. We might not even be able to see it. Maybe there's a forest right up against the river, but you know you've got to get over there. And so how do you do it? And you can only, you can't put your brain about where you're going to end up because you can't see it. It's in a forest. <laughs> you can't, so it's about being right here where you are and having that place where okay, come back in two days. I don't know what's going to be happening in a week, but I can do that because this is here right now. You're focused on the present. And this is not really a stable gig for sure. So what else do I need to do to focus and create what I need for myself right now, which is hustling some side gigs, driving for Lyft, whatever (laughs) it takes. So those steps and so many people get their heads so hung up on that place way across the river that they're trying to get that they're not willing to be in the present and take the step by step that you need to actually get to the bridge and then once you finally get the bridge you start to cross so we've got that we've crossed the bridge now we've got that chair that big girl chair and We're there, we have the full-time job, we have the benefits and you're working customer service in tech, from education to tech, but it didn't stop there. (laughs) You you had to figure out where that place inside the forest was that you were gonna end up. (laughs) What was the net, what did you start? You started doing some stuff on the downtime in between answering emails and you started learning some things. Tell me. Yeah, I was brought in at an interesting time where um, we had a very small customer support team, but we were growing into a really big customer base. And we didn't really have a lot of roadmaps. We didn't know a a lot about the custom uh, as the customer support team about our products. And we were developing new products every day. So there were a lot of opportunities to learn and to meet people in other parts of the business that could teach me things that I didn't have access to. And I was on a weird schedule. So when I first started, my schedule was Friday to Tuesday. So I worked the whole weekend, mostly by myself, except for the engineers that would come in to do work on the weekends. And what really worked out well for me is that I could speed through emails and if they were doing something interesting or needed an extra set of hands for something or you know needed somebody to help them figure out how to do their troubleshooting steps into something that humans can understand um i'd be right around the corner and could say i'll help with that or can you show me what you're doing what's that you're working on and so i would always just kind of be like 
the nosy neighbor poking my head around the corner like, well, I'm not doing anything. I can help. Or <laughs> and I got to I got to both a little bit of visibility into the things that I mean for my regular job. But I also got to be this kind of regular bug reporter and this person that found issues and could write them up really well. And so I got a little bit of visibility in front of some of the leadership and on ins and outs of, of how our systems were working, which other people weren't privy to because they weren't taking those shifts <laughs> and because they didn't have that extra face time that I was getting on my weekends where I could just, you know, I could plow through cases and stick my head around the corner and then come back and plow through more cases and just, you know, um, kind of pound through my day without other people around. Whereas during the week when all my fun colleagues are there, you know, you're down to have you want to chat. But I had that great time at the beginning where I had my terrible schedule that I could use to, to my advantage to get to know all of this cool, intricate stuff. And that really helped me become uh, what we call the product specialist within the customer support organization. So I could specialize uh, on a particular set of products and then work with the engineering team on our product rollouts, installations, if anything horrible happened. And we saw it first in the customer support organization. I was then that direct line to the engineering team. So that was kind of my next step was zeroing in on all this stuff, you know, becoming this familiar face that people always saw on the weekend and then finding a way to use that back during my regular work. Awesome. And one of the things that I love about that and anyone that's looking to do with a career change and you're in a bridge position, I think it's any position really, if you stay open and get curious, there's opportunity for growth that you would never ever notice. And here you have this obstacle of a terrible schedule, but you made the most of it and you learned and you were able to grow during that, which brought you more skills. And then there was a position open and you were like, I, well, I don't know what you were like, but I know that you <laughs> went for it and something happened. Yeah. Uh, as you know, as we grew as an organization, the engineering group had started becoming a little bit more formal. So many of us, myself included, got some certifications in project management and learning how to run agile scrum teams so i started doing some project management within the customer support team an actual position opened up and so since i had kind of the most uh subject matter expertise in working with one of our products that we used for project management i i went to uh the head of our department and said hey you know I would love to go for this role. Here's why I'm qualified. I'm already kind of doing it. And they said, like, mm, we don't really think you have the chops. You know, we don't really think you're qualified. It's probably not a good idea. And then they hired a guy who, who is a wonderful guy. I, you know, I always liked him, but that <laughs> he was hired for this position and then they wanted me to spend a fair amount of time training him for it. Uh, which, you know, 
I was not qualified to apply, why would I train the person that you I, the first time you told me, I was just like, what? And now I'm inhaling. <laughs> so live again, my windpipe. Like, Hello, you're not qualified for this job, but here, train the person that we're hiring to do the job. <laughs> so that was kind of ridiculous. Right. And also, sometimes these obstacles, I think, are there for a reason, because one door shuts, it makes you look for something different. So you pivoted from there. And what what happened from there? Yeah, so uh, naturally, I thought was nonsense. <laughs> so I, I went over to the side of the business where they were spinning up a project management group. And I went to their leadership. And I said, well, customer support has missed their chance. And I think I would be great on your team. And they were like, oh my gosh, how we, of course, we're going to hire you. And so they hired me to be the scrum master for the team that I had previously supported as a, a product specialist. So I was able to stick with my same team and then start working with them on the engineering side, which was amazing because I was set up for so much success by doing that. We already had a great working relationship. I knew all of the products well, and that was, I can't say enough about how great that team was. And I was so happy to have just like all the support. <laughs> Yeah. And it's it stands to reason that you ending up there was that place in the forest you were always supposed to probably end up in that in that particular part of the journey in your life, you know, bridge and step after step. And so when people are making career changes, I want you all to just remember sometimes it takes a couple steps to get to that place that's a really good fit. And what I love that you did was like, oh, that's kind of baloney. Let me see if I could actually get the thing I want somewhere else. And so having that wherewithal to not just stay like, well, I'll just stay at this position that is not making me feel fulfilled now that I know that I want more and that I know that you're not going to give me more. So let me go after what it is I want. And you asked and you received and that I love. And so these days you are also, you are working at a great place and you are involved in some organizations that you love. You are a mentor, a leader, and totally a wolf, which I love. Of course, you guys <laughs> know that. I'm like, oh, you're carving your own path. You're doing what you're meant to do. You know I get excited about that. So can you tell us what it is you're involved in these days and how people can get in touch and involved in the things that you love and you're passionate about yeah so one of the things that i am most about and actually most grateful for my time at fitbit for because i i got involved while working at fitbit but i've i've carried it with me to two two more companies now is called the tech women program and tech women is this just amazing exchange mentorship program that is sponsored by the state department 
And the way that it works is we bring about, about 110 women who are all leaders in science and technology in their countries from Africa, the Middle East, Central and Western Asia, and soon the Baltic region, where the program mm. is about to expand, over to Silicon Valley for a five-week program where they're paired with a professional tour in a company here in Silicon Valley. They spent three and a half weeks shadowing her, their mentor in their company and meeting people, meeting their CEO, meeting the leadership, doing a, a mini project in that organization. They also do we call cultural mentorship where they're paired with a group of women from the other countries and they, they get to hang out and do cool things in the Bay Area. You know, sometimes they'll go camping in Yosemite. They'll go to the Santa Cruz boardwalk. They'll go on food tours and, and mural walks here in the city. Check out the Golden Gate Bridge. So learn about like, what is it like to live here in the Bay Area? And then what the part of it that I work on is called the, is called being an impact coach. So what we do is we'll split each group into their country cohorts and then they'll spend three weeks working on an action plan to identify some issue in their country, be it clean water in a certain area, electricity, or I'm trying to think of one of the, uh, one of the projects this year from the team from Palestine was to build a mobile app for families with who have a child with Down syndrome so that as soon as their child is born, they can get connected to resources and education uh, because a lot of that isn't available in hospitals. And they can be connected to a community of other parents and kids that could give them support and tips and all that other good stuff. So um, they they spend their, their time working on that project with us, providing some assistance and coaching and feedback. At the end, they give a three-minute pitch to a team of local judges, and then they, they compete for a grant of $3,000 to come with them and get started to bring that business back home and start. And then we all go to Washington, so cool. D.C. together and talk to some legislators about things that are going on in their country and what we think can help women in the STEM, all of, you know, all of the things like that. It's an awesome program. It's going to expand to Chicago in the next few years, so be on the lookout. And I really think that if if you have any interest, you could absolutely be a Tech Women mentor, and you should check it out at techwomen.org. Yes, 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 techwomen.org. People need mentorship. One of the things, as a lot of people try to step into something different than what their parents had or what they grew up around or what's in their country, it's so important to be around people that are where you want to go. You pick up and you learn so much and developing those relationships and supporting others is such a powerful way to give back. I love it. And now if those of you that are looking to make a career shift, you want career fulfillment, you want your heart to feel full at work, and you want to do something meaningful that you love, book a call with me. Think of it as your bridge to the next place that brings you the greatest amount of fulfillment. And you can do that at elevatebookacall.com. 
If you are interested, open your browser now and type in elevatebookacall.com and I'll talk to you soon. Caitlin, is there anything else that you wanted to add today? Um, I just want to say the first year I heard of Tech Women, I, I didn't want to participate because I didn't think I had it, what it took to be a mentor. So even though I was on this journey myself, I still had my doubts. Now I'm like, now you can't tell me anything. I'm um, much more confident in myself. But uh, I just say, if, if there's still somewhere you want to go, just do it. Go for it. Um, if you need to rally your, your lady friends around you to get a psych up squad, just do it. And don't, don't be afraid. Don't let fear win. Yes, 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 yes. Don't let fear win. Oh, all right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel very honored that you were willing to come and tell this deep and powerful story of your journey moving into STEM and yes, to more and more mentorship, especially in such a male dominated field like tech. I think having more and more female mentorship in that arena is incredibly powerful. So thank you so much for being here today, Caitlin. And all of you out there listening and watching, we will see you next time on Be The Wolf. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.